welcome to the latest episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? How's your week been? Uh, really good, thank you. We had a birthday in our household, uh, my youngest, so uh, it's been all fun and games, just uh, getting birthday parties and presents and, and all that sorted. So, uh, and yeah, the other we... big news? Oh, uh, a new kitten in You've the household. Uh, yeah, a new kitten in the household. So, uh, yeah, we don't do things by halves, it seems, in this house. Just birthdays and kittens and, and all sorts. And uh, I will commend you on your pronunciation of... Thank you. I have, uh, I have paid attention to the Twitter comments saying that I've been saying it wrong, which is fair. I did not do Latin at school, as people may now be aware. <laughs> oh, dear. But yes, uh, unfortunately, we haven't got any injection of new animals in my house this week We've still just got the one dog um but back to blackburn rovers a, a mixed week obviously a great result in the carabao cup which we'll, we'll touch on um but a disappointing result on sunday against leicester city a third successive championship defeat which will be the the bulk of our chat today uh, neither myself or you were at the cardiff game unfortunately i was ill so unable to attend um and leicester obviously Yesterday, we'll, we'll get into, but we'll start with Cardiff just quickly because um, it's worth touching on. They won 5-2, which is obviously a great result and into the next round of the Carabao Cup. They made eight changes, lots of rotation, as we predicted. Um, a first look at Semir Talelovic from the start as well. And I think the sort of the, the best player was Andrew Moran, again, playing in a central role. And I thought I also thought he was he was my man of the match against Leicester as well. But playing in a more central role, he, he was at the heart of everything good about Rovers. Marconde looked bright, took his goal really well as well. And uh, Dylan Marconde as well, um, he did really well down the right-hand side. Uh, had so It was interesting how he, he sort of learned from this, because he had one where he came in, had the shot from uh, the right-hand side with his left foot, good save by the goalkeeper, and then the finish is beautifully curved into the corner. So taking it one step further. Jake Garrett, 3-3. Three three. Um, I was really impressed with the pass from Garrett. I shared the screenshot on Twitter. Um, where I think it's for Sigurdsson's goal, who, of course, also got on the score sheet. Um, lovely ball. And we, we spoke to Jake Garrow, interviewed him on Tuesday in the pre-match press conference before the game. And he was talking about how he's been working all somewhat for the last six months about not just being a six and someone that sits behind the ball and switches play and someone that can play in those more advanced areas. And he's not just showing that in terms of his goal scoring, which obviously scored in each of the last three rounds, but also with his uh, creative passing. Uh, as well. Sigerson, of course, got 58 minutes under his belt. Another goal. I thought the goal was very Bradley Dack in the way that he sort of sniffs out the chance. And I thought the goal at Ipswich was probably quite Brereton Diazzi. So that's uh, not a bad way to start your career. Um, and a good win, Ryan, first and foremost, because the Cup, you know, Rovers have um, made the Cup exciting. It felt like a bit of a chore probably under Tony Mowbray in the last sort of five years and, and beyond then. But Jon's using it to full advantage to get some minutes into these youngsters. There's players coming through people haven't seen before. You know, there's been a lot of buzz around Gil Sennon this year, Edmondson, players like that. Obviously, it was Wharton and Garrett's time last year. So giving some value to the cup competition and, and Rovers have got nothing to lose. I think it's really important to do so. Um, you know, when I think about previous managers and, and the disrespect for the Cups, nothing would wind me up more than anything when Rovers lost on the opening game of the season and then we would then go and lose a League Cup game uh, straight after that as well. And those League Cup games are a real opportunity to develop confidence, get into your rhythm and all of those things. So I love the fact that JDT is respecting these competitions for all of the reasons that you've outlined there. You know, we're going to probably come on shortly about the league form and the fact that 
we are in a bit of a sticky patch at the moment. So beating Cardiff 5-2 and doing it impressively, getting minutes in some of these lads' legs, the goal scorers as well on the night, you know, these are all positives for Rovers. So JDT is absolutely getting his just rewards with that. And it's great for us to do it because it just helps keep the fans just on side and on board and, and not panic too much when we are in that that tricky run of form. Just to talk about Garrett and, and then Sigurdsson, um, Jake Garrett, when he first broke in, I think it was very easy to make comparisons with someone like Lewis Travis, you know, with the style that they both play, you know, the Garrett, tackling reputation as well. The tackling reputation. But I've got to say, Garrett is absolutely showing himself to be a goal threat now and probably more so than Lewis Travis. Um, he got the goal against Harrogate, the goal against Walsall, a goal again against Cardiff. And, and as you say, uh, an assist as well for Sigurdsson. So Garrett is really showing himself as someone that, that might be able to be not only an understudy to Lewis Travis, but also an understudy to someone like Sammy Smodic. So great for us to have that option with with Jake Garrett if he's going to affect the play that way. Sigurdsson, I mean, the movement for the goal just absolutely used class. You know, he's ran about, you know, five, six, seven yards to make that movement into the six-yard box. And he's been picked out brilliantly, hasn't he? So I think the two goals that we've seen from Sigurdsson, Rovers, we have spoken about, being clinical and, and having that edge at championship level. I think the two goals that Sigurdsson has scored, you know, the movement in behind and a great pass from Travis away at Ipswich, and then this one to make that darting run, I think he's showing that he is going to be a top player for us and, and a difference maker at times, I think. Yes, it's that beautiful knack which you can't quite boil down and bottle up because if he could, it would be worth a lot of money. But yeah, it was it was a great bit of movement. It took his goal really well. Uh, obviously, Leopold Walstead was in goal as well. His Blackburn Rovers um, debut at Ewood Park. I don't think he could do much about either of the goals. The first one's a really good strike from range. I, I suppose whenever a goalkeeper gets beat from that range, you look at them a bit, but it's right in the side net. And I think you've just got to say that's a great strike. And the the second's just poor defending, isn't it? Again, to, to let Atete turn and it's a really good finish into the far corner. Uh, of course, Rovers have been rewarded with a trip to Stamford Bridge in round four. Will you be making the journey, Ryan? Yeah, hoping to. Um, if I can just convince schools and things that uh, it's acceptable to take a child down there as well. But uh, yeah, we'll be making the trip. I've only been to Stamford Bridge once. Uh, we lost 2-0. I remember Ivanovic scoring and I can't remember who the other goal scorer was. Maybe it was Nicholas Anelka or someone like that. But uh, yeah, it'll be nice to go down again and who knows? Who knows what Chelsea we will see? Let's see what happens. Yeah, I've only been once myself in the away end, but I'm uh, very excited to go as media because apparently the press food is unbelievable. It's like a uh, a, cha- like a a big buffet, so I'm very excited. I'm going to go down with Ziplocs and big bags and just bring, <laughs> it, bring it all home with me on the train. So that should be really good. You spoke about, obviously, the, the mentality in terms of the cup competitions, and I think that's what it comes down to because Rovers have made changes in the Carabao Cup between this season and last, and I'll, I'll credit Rich Sharp, who did the number crunching on this, and I've um, stolen it. But they haven't made less than eight changes for, for any cup tie. So it's not like they're playing stronger teams, but I think it's a mentality thing and also the maybe the age group as well, because it's rather than it being you know, 27, 28-year-olds who aren't getting a game, it's young, hungry academy products who can see a pathway into the first team if they play well in the Carabao Cup and work their way. You know, Someone like Gil Sennon's a great story. How, how many people before pre-season outside of, you know, media and die-hard under-21s, Rovers watchers, knew that much about Zach Gilsenen? How many knew that much about Jake Garrett the year before? You get the point I'm trying to make. So it, it's it's really exciting. It's created a bit of a buzz around the competition. Yes, all right, 
there was a bit of upset about the Blackburn end being short and um, not the highest attendance for the Cardiff game. But nonetheless, I do think that the the mentality within the group has is what's causing such good runs and a bit of excitement about the cup, which is so much better than just crashing out in the first round to Doncaster at home, etc. I actually think it's a necessary for Rovers as well. We've we've spoken about uh, the lack of money that we've got to spend and, and the relative squad depth. So, you know, if you're relying on on the wider squad, the academy lads, the people that aren't getting games all the time and aren't in the starting eleven, then these lads have got to get minutes. They've got to develop confidence. They've got to get into a rhythm. They've got to be ready to go should injuries and suspensions happen. So, for me, this is a necessary, and I absolutely take my hat off to JDT with the way that he's doing this because. You know, someone like Joe Rankin Costello, you know, absolutely fans' favourite last season, some people's votes for player of the season, deserved new contract. Can't find himself in the side at the moment because of how well Callum Britton's playing. But he ain't sulking. You know, he could have easily sulked. He could have sat there and gone, hang on, I've signed this new contract. I should be the main man. But he's come into that side at home to Cardiff, played really well, like all the other lads that are coming in. So, it's an absolute necessary because, as we've seen, unfortunately, with Rovers, we do have a knack of picking up injuries. Suspensions will come into play, particularly with how referees are this season with punishing things. So we're going to need all of these lads ready to go. And look at the start in 11 against Cardiff. Ranking Costello, Hill, Scott Wharton, Tronstad, Markande, Moran, Talalovic, Garrett, Sigurdsson. These are all players that are going to do their time in and out of the team this season and, and hats off to the way that they played against Cardiff. So, yeah, it's, it is a mentality thing, uh, Elliot. I, I think you're right to use that word. And, and it's JDT that's, that's done that with the way that he's managed people in and out of the side. Tronstad, case in point, been playing with the under-23s for the last few weeks. But again, he's not sulking. He's come in and he's going to try and make an impact. So, really good stuff. I keep going on about it, but it's a necessary. Yeah, totally. I mean, when you look at the accounts that came out last week, they, they pocketed around £2 million extra in TV revenue, um, prize money from the cup runs, etc. So that's not just from the cups, but it all adds into the melting pot and Rovers need those, need those little add-ons particularly at the moment. Let's go to Leicester. Obviously, fresh in our minds, record on Monday morning, happened less than 24 hours ago. Uh, a, a poor result quite obviously, a third successive championship defeat for Rovers. Obviously, the big concern is the goals against Cullum. They've now conceded 20 goals in nine championship games. But the breakdown of that is quite weird. They conceded four goals in their first five games and then 16 in their last five, four times as many, which is an average of 3.2 per game. Now, you can make some allowances for the opposition and the quality they've got. You know, they played Sunderland, Ipswich and Leicester, currently all in the top four of the championship table. That said, they have conceded the same goal-ish in the early stage, well, in the opening half of all three of those games. Again, they did so against Leicester. Short corner, whipped in, don't get the first contact and it's headed in after four minutes. Very similar to the Harry Clark goal last weekend where it's a corner, they don't really clear it, comes out to Clark and he smashes it into the top corner. Very similar to Sunderland where at one all on the stroke of half-time where you've battered the opposition. Second phase set piece, you don't clear your lines. Neil takes a touch, gets in the box, drives into the bottom corner. Again, it's just poor defending. And, and when Jon talks about individual errors being the reason for the leakage at the back, these goals and those three goals in particular I've just highlighted are the sort of ones where you can't... That's not an individual error. That is people defending poorly, which I suppose it is, but it's more of a, 
a collective issue rather than individuals, rather than, for example, pairs passing the ball straight to um, Nathan Broadhead. And it's, it just comes down to desire. I think both... I've, heard, I've seen some criticism that pairs should come and get the cross. I'm not having that. I think for both the first two goals, and we'll come on to the second one in a bit, you've got to look at your centre-backs. And Dom Heim, as good as he's been, he gets sucked under the ball, he loses his man and fast heads it into the back of the net. That That is where the problem is for me. And those are the avoidable goals that they've got to cut out. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The uh, the turnaround on this, Elliot. So last season, we're talking about the the one nils and and how tight we are defensively, and and the fact that yes, in games we were having low xG, but actually you could rely on the Rovers' defence to to hold out for a one nil, and and obviously that was the the mindset and and the mantra. I think what's possibly coming to fruition now, I think it was Michael Carrick who used the word chaotic, wasn't it? Rovers' style of play, uh, particularly off the ball, is is chaotic in terms of formation and tactics. And that's a deliberate ploy by JDT to be chaotic and, and cause confusion in that sense. But I do just wonder if it's causing confusion now defensively for Rovers in terms of getting ourselves set. For players like Hyam and Carter, is it confusing them? Or are they able to track their men? Are they able to command and lead in the way that they were last season? I don't know. But for me, there is a big correlation there between the chaotic formation this season, one for the record, which I am thoroughly enjoying and I'm loving the attacking style for Rovers. But there is that correlation. You know, that is going hand in hand now. And I do just wonder whether JDT might just need to to look at it, address it, be led by the defence first rather than the chaotic formation first. I don't know, but the goals being conceded are a concern and particularly simple ones like what you described. The the Valtfast goal is as simple as it gets really, isn't it? It's not even a whipped ball in, in, in my mind. I think it's quite a gentle ball in. It's travelled quite a long way and really we should be commanding that and it's far too easy. So, yeah, disappointing goal to concede yet again. Yeah, the the worrying thing for me is, as I say, it's just just an avoidable goal and it's a similar type of goal that they've conceded three games running. Um, I think Jon keeps saying that they're not open and that it's individual errors, but maybe the fact that they keep making so many individual errors proves that there is a systematic issue because the players maybe can't cope with the instructions. It's not easy, that style of play, because they are getting left wide open. They're not playing a defensive midfielder, or in some people's eyes they are, but he's playing as a right winger. And that's the risk and reward of this chaotic strategy, and I spoke about that, and I do think part of it is the fact that they haven't got clinical forwards, so therefore they feel like they need to play this gung-ho style. But right now they're getting burnt from it and it's not working that's that's undeniable when you think back to last season you know they were still playing good football they've pretty much been playing good football and creating chances since the start of the year and they were still winning games 1-0 2-0 at Ewood Park in particular but that's definitely dropped off they've only con- kept one clean sheet all season um and against Leicester that was just it's just such a poor way to start you know you think again the Ipswich one where you're away from home you want to keep it tight early doors you're playing the league leaders, you want your crowd to grow into the game. And you want to down after four minutes on both occasions. That's just not good enough. And that is why Blackburn are not picking up points at the minute. It was really interesting to me how they sort of decided to press. So the out-of-possession strategy was to sort of drop off a little bit and play man for man. And it left Vestergaard a lot of the time with just the ball at his feet and no one pressing him and him not being able to do anything. I don't think that was a wrong strategy, but the pressing, it was interesting to me. So when Leicester tended to play the ball backwards or they didn't quite have controlled stable possession Rovers would really press 
And you saw that for the equaliser and they did really well. They set up well. Leicester had already just been warned where they'd lost it in their own 18-yard box and uh, I think it was Smodic's header was straight at Hermanson. He plays it out. Travis does really well to take it off Winks. Slides it across to Smodic's. Really cool, calm finish. That's one all on on nine minutes, I think it was. So really good finish. His sick for the season. But it was interesting to me how, you know, the crowd sort of accepted it for a bit and then they got a little bit restless because it just looks weird optically. If you basically Rovers had just dropped everyone onto one man and Vestergaard was just allowed to have the ball. And that that worked in a lot of senses when they were playing slow. And it took Leicester probably 15 minutes to work it out. And then once they did work it out, they started moving it quicker and popping it around those man-to-man marking players. Um, very similar to a sort of system Bielsa used to use, um, which is interesting because McKenna likened Rovers to Bielsa's team last year and Jong got asked about it in midweek and he said he didn't really see the similarities. So interesting that they went for that out-of-possession approach. But it just looked a bit strange at times, didn't it? Although I think it was the right decision I think it probably just added to the angst of the crowd a little bit though it did it does look weird optically weird I think is is the right way of looking at it and when you are at home you know these are the types of things that you know we shouldn't be doing you know we need to keep the fans on board at home and and particularly playing a side like Leicester you know I think most fans probably went into that game thinking we're probably not going to beat them or it's going to be a really difficult game so to then start doing that optically as you say is is really strange I didn't like it because uh, I think it's just showing, for me, far too much respect to Leicester as much as I've just said I'm going into that game feeling angsty and nervous. You know, why are we doing it in that way? Um, so I just thought it was an overall strange tactic. And as you've just pointed out, a good manager like Maresca, who has been under Guardiola and knows the game really well, I suspect, great players who, for the record, should be playing in the Premier League. Players and that like is a Jude Premier League. You looked at that bench, didn't you? Yeah. That was the sort of like murmurings in the press room on the team crowd. It's not look at the team, it's look at the bench. Yeah, that's it. So these players will work it out eventually, as you say. Uh, and, and it was just a shame to see it pan out like that. And when they did work it out, it was just far too easy again, I think, as much as the finish was fantastic from Jamie Vardy, it felt like quite a simple goal to open Rovers up, you know, particularly with that, that strange um, pressing style that you spoke about there. Yeah, I think because it's man-to-man, if ultimately someone doesn't track, you you can see obviously the big holes that emerge and it's a, a ball shifted to the right-hand side, into the channel for Wilfred and Didier runs. Wharton's probably not quite tight enough in my opinion. And again, this goes back to the debate about whether he should be playing as the deepest man in midfield. Um, he's not quite tight enough and Didier gets a great ball across. But again, Hayden Carr, not tight enough to Jamie Vardy. Great touch, great finish. Again, not particularly levelling that at Ainsley Pears, in my opinion. Um, and he struggled, didn't he, again, Carter? I thought it was really poor at Ipswich, and I've been a huge Carter fan, but he now looks to me like someone that needs a break. He needs to come out of the team. I think he's been fantastic in 2023, but I think he needs a rest. And again, a little bit of lapse of concentration to bring down Vestergaard for the penalty to make it 3-1. And Jon didn't think it was a penalty, my view is it probably is a foul. It's it's just symptomatic of a defender that's not quite concentrating or that's that's focusing on other things and not quite at the top of their game. They they lose their man and it's a bit of a panic, isn't it? It's a panic pull. And you see them a lot in games. So I think Jon's criticism that you'll have to give 10 a game if you're giving those is probably accurate. But at the same time, it is a foul. It's 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 I don't want to say it's lazy defending, but it's it's a lack of concentration, isn't it? You lose your man, you lose the runner. And he um, he pulls him down. Inacho puts it in for 3-1. And that's game over. And that's 
Rovers, although to be fair, there were seven minutes plus nine minutes added on in the end. So Rovers maybe could have done something, but that that was the big um, that was the big moment in the game because just before that, of course, Travis has the big chance at two one where ball breaks to him ten yards out. Great save from Hermanson and the rebound from Smodix uh, is blocked, and that is the the fine margins, isn't it? Rovers switch off in their own box, and uh, the goalkeeper makes a brilliant save moments before for Leicester, and at two one to go two all or three one. That, that, that just defines the match completely. It does. And I think that chance from Travis as well, you know, in, in how that game went, uh, we didn't really have a sniff in that second half. And I, and I think it's because Leicester... That just was the big it. chance, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the big chance. And it was an unbelievably big chance because of the lack of stuff that we were creating in that second half. And you and I were just chatting before we came live with this. Arm's length is the word that both of us described, isn't it? Leicester had us at arm's length in that second half. As much as, yes, Rovers had a lot of the ball, a lot of possession. Uh, you know, it looked like we were trying to, to make something happen. I actually felt Leicester were very, very comfortable in that second I half. I thought Rovers liked a lot of width. I felt like the, the mm. ball went sort of out wide and Leicester were, although Rovers were on top in terms of they were the ones with the ball and trying to get the equaliser, Leicester were quite happy just to funnel them central and, and yeah. just mop it up. You know, Vestergaard's a very good player at this. He lacks a lot of mobility, don't get me wrong, but if you give him time and you ask him just to defend his 18-yard box, he's going to be a very good player at this level. And I felt like it was very similar to sort of the second half against Sunderland, where you yeah, you can look at it and say Rovers have had plenty of the ball. They're, you know, the ones forcing the initiative. Game State plays a large part of that. Leicester allowed that because they were 2-1 up and saw spaces to hurt on the counter-attack, and it was the same for Sunderland. So... I didn't think there was no point where I thought Rovers are really, you know, this is a barrage of pressure. It was more Leicester kind of letting Rovers have the ball and, and probe, but the, the probes weren't going anywhere. The only big chance was the Travis one. Yeah. And, you know, they had us at arm's length and all games of football happen like this. A team will get a chance eventually. And that was our big chance from Lewis Travis. And when we're not creating, when we're not hurting Leicester, it has to go in plain and simple. And even more so, with obviously what happened at the other end, you know, five minutes later. For the record, it is a penalty, you know, letter of the law stuff. He's pulled his shirt. Referee is going to pick up on that now. Uh, my main annoyance with it is I just don't see it punished consistently across the division. I would every agree with you. Week. That, I would rather see 10 given a game so people stop doing it rather than say, well, it happened in the other box and didn't get given. I, I think there should just be penalties. I agree. Exactly that. So uh, it's frustrating because obviously we know what happens at that point when it's 3-1. It's absolutely game over. In truth, it was probably game over at 2-1. So, um, but yeah, uh, silly from Hayden Carter. You're right. Um, not lazy feels like a harsh word, but it is lazy in the sense of, you know, he could have been a, just a bit firmer, a bit stronger. Whatever reason, he's pulled the shirt. It is a penalty. It's not switched and- on. Not switched on, that's it. And and in the end, you know, Iniacho very easily dispatched. And and there again is is the case in point around how much it annoys me how strong these Premier League teams come down. You know, we are absolutely desperate for a number nine. Talalovic, for whatever reason, hasn't got the minutes at the moment. We're not playing with a number nine on Sunday. They're bringing Iniacho off the bench. So the gulf. I'll tell you what's quality. the most sort of embarrassed of riches in the Leicester squad. They've got. Daniel Everson's not even their number two goalkeeper. They've got Danny Ward, a Wales international, not even their number two goalkeeper. Uh, they've got like Smithies. Like I would, I would definitely say that Daniel Everson would be Blackburn Rovers number one, and he's not even getting on their bench. It's crazy, and it, it really frustrates me. And as much as I'm going to probably side rant a little bit now and go off on a tangent, I think it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. Um, feels like the Premier League is becoming more of a closed shop uh, and it feels like we're going to see the same sides bouncing up and down 
uh, for seasons to come. You know, look at the bottom three-ish in the Premier League at the moment. I fully expect Southampton, Leeds and Leicester to be right up there this season. And are we just going to eventually see the same clubs yo-yoing? So it's really frustrating because in the what end... What do you it was think just... the counteract of that is then? Because I agree with you. I think we need to abolish parachute payments because it also is what causes clubs like, just recent examples, Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, clubs that have spent a lot of money to try and break that. They then miss out, don't get the golden ticket, and then they plunge into financial abyss and they both have been relegated with points deductions. So... For me, I think the way you have to do it is obviously try and distribute the money better from um, the Premier League, which is a bit difficult because it's like Turkey's voting for Christmas. Why would they want to give away more money? But we need an independent regulator. No doubt about that in my mind. That would then force them to drip feed more of the money down. But also, right, let's get rid of parachute payments. Let's put mandatory relegation wage drops in every contract. I don't care if you're Manchester United. If you're, you sign a player, you have got to support a mandatory wage drop in that player's contract at, I don't know, 20%, 30%, whatever. Maybe the PFA will obviously kick off probably about that and that's where the, the difficulties would lie. But that for me seems the most tangible solution because we cut, parachute payments are absolutely distorting this division undoubtedly. Yeah, and it's undermining the competitiveness of the division. You know, the Premier League talks about being the best league in the world. We all know the Championship is the best league in the world. But actually, if we start to boil this down a little bit, it's fastly becoming not a competitive division with the state of the parachute payments. I think what you've offered there um, is is quite a, a neat solution, actually, because you're right. People aren't going to distribute the money fairly and teams will be thinking, well, actually, we got into the Premier League because we were successful. So why should we then start giving money up? You know, if you're someone like, Brentford or Brighton that have done really well at creating a strategy for their clubs to get promoted, why are they all of a sudden going to give the money away? The other thing I will say, um, you know, it's not all sob story from a Rovers fan. You know, a lot of our problems are our own making. You know, we have low revenue, we've got massive debt due to our ownership, all these things. So it's not all just on the fact that Leicester have got loads of money to come down. What saddens me is it feels like Rovers are landing on a real strategy here with JDT the recruitment department, bringing the academy lads through. It feels like we've got a plan for the first time in a long time. But ultimately, I've still just got this feeling that it's never going to be good enough because of the riches of the teams coming down from the Premier League. And that's quite sad to feel that as a Rovers fan. Loot and give everybody hope that you can do it on a shoestring. And that's what we've all got to grab onto. Um, but, you know, if ever you wanted a, a case in point, it was Leicester rocking up yesterday in terms of that golfing class, that golfing quality it showed in the end. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And because of the parachute payments, it means they can afford to keep hold of players like Wilfred Ndidi for a year, Ricardo Pereira, etc. Uh, I do think you're absolutely right about that. From a, a sort of Rovers attacking point of view, they obviously didn't have Harry Leonard. He was out injured. Samir Telelovic was on the bench. Went with Smodix as a false nine. Moran played central. Marconde and Sigurdsson sort of either side on the flanks. I just thought they missed a bit of a focal point at times. Someone that could stretch the defence the opposite way, which would then create a bit more space in the midfield. I thought Moran was excellent. I was, re- I- I'm a big like I like that's not a slight on Callum Britton. I think he's a very good player. I think he's been in great form, but I thought Moran was quite comfortably man of the match for Rovers. Um, but Britton got the official one from the uh, Rovers match sponsor. Uh, he did, did play well, but Moran for me was just the way he can take the ball on the half turn and drive at defences. It's a very valuable skill, particularly when you're playing against a set defence because you need to move people out of the way to try and create spaces. So I thought he was really bright. I thought Sigurdsson struggled to get in the game a little bit, probably lacked a little bit of width, I felt, on that left-hand side because we know Pickering isn't the most 
attacking adventurist of left-backs, whereas at least on the right-hand side, you've got Marconde, who did go to the line a few times, but you've also got Britain overlapping on that side to give them a little bit more. I just thought they struggled. And then, of course, Keenan Jewsbury Hall makes it 4-1 with a dink. Um, I've seen some suggestion that Walstead should have come out a little bit quicker as well. I think anyone that's judging Leopold Walstead on half an hour coming off the bench against the, the league leaders at, at uh, 2-1, facing a penalty, and then the game's already done when Dewsbury Hall adds a fourth is, is very um, it's very short-sighted, especially seeing as though it looks like he's going to at least get these couple of games this week, I think. We've obviously not got the full report on Ainsley Pears, but Jon didn't seem too upbeat that you know he couldn't put any weight on his left ankle at all. So the idea will be fit for Coventry and QPR probably quite unlikely. So we will, fans have been wanting to have a look at Walstead and they should finally get that this week. Yeah, let's just first and foremost give our best wishes to Ainsley Pears. It does look a bad one. I know that there's been the calls for for Pears not to be in goal and, and all of those things. I think all Rovers fans need to just unite and say this is not the circumstances that we wanted this to happen. You know, no one should be getting a football injury and, and all of those things. So hopefully it's a speedy recovery from Ainsley Pears does give us now the opportunity to see Walstedt and see what he's about and get a better look at him. There's going to be no bigger test than championship-level football now. Uh, Coventry away, possibly one of the toughest places you can make your full debut. Um, Coventry always make it difficult there, so he's going to have to be on it there. But I'm really looking forward to seeing him. I think we'll see a different goalkeeper to Ainsley Pears. We, we spoke about the proactive goalkeeping stuff last week, didn't we? And I think... Uh, I'm hoping that that's what Walshtedt will bring and, and maybe we can play slightly differently out from the back or, or something like that. But desperately unlucky for Ainsley Pears and, and hopefully we see him back soon. Just on the, the, the striking situation, I've never liked the false nine, I must admit, mm. um, whether it's Bradley Johnson, Bradley Dak, John Bradley Buckley. Johnson. <laughs> no, please, don't go, please don't go back to that. Oh, God. I, I've just never liked it, Elliot. And I just think most sides, um, good, bad or ugly, have a central presence, have a striker. You know, look at Man What do you think City. about the Tulelovic situation? Because obviously he's come in, he may, you know, he got half an hour on his debut. We've not really seen anything, even, even off the bench. You know, he didn't come on till it was 3-1. On uh, on Sunday, I trust JDT's judgment here, and I and I trust what the t- the club are doing with it. Let's make no mistake; he is making a massive step up in terms of where he's been in his career. This is a step up for Talalovic. We don't know if he was carrying a little knock, a little niggle. Uh, what were his overall fitness levels? We know how JDT likes to work this side hard. So, if the numbers and the metrics and the measures aren't adding up off the pitch at the moment, and JDT is not satisfied in that regard, then I trust JDT's judgment. And when we boil this down to the fact that you know we've been behind in games, we're chasing a goal, etc. We haven't got a central striker on the pitch. Harry Leonard's gone off. Sam Gallagher's injured. Whatever it is. I do find it quite strange that we've not seen him. So, yes, as much as I trust JDT and the judgment on the metrics and measures, the way that the games have panned out, football is a simple game sometimes. Just throwing a big man on, putting a central striker in there, getting a physical presence in the box. And for me, which is why I hate the false nine formation the most, occupying centre-backs. That is what I like the most about having a striker in the team. You occupy a centre-back. You don't make their life easier. We've just spoken about Vestergaard having a cigar out in the first half. That's because he's not being occupied. I saw it last season away at Rotherham when we lost 4-0 away. Sean Morrison had the stroll of the park away at Rotherham. So I don't like false nine formations for these reasons. So, yeah, it is a surprise that we've not seen more of Talalovic and Elliot because, you know, again, he's another one that just needs to build his confidence, build his minutes, get the rough and tumble. And who knows, he might just get on the end of something and that could be the start of him scoring a few goals for Rovers. So, 
it is surprising we've not seen him, but ultimately I trust that the numbers behind the scenes aren't quite adding up at the moment and we will see him sooner rather than later. So obviously we know the big issue is 20 goals conceded in nine games. How do they solve it, I think, is the got to be the big question. Jan, again, is not saying systematical errors. He's saying it's players that are making individual errors. I think there needs to be some changes on Wednesday night. I think James Hill needs to come in for Hayden Carter. I'd like to see Rankin Costello come in at right back and Britain go to the left because I thought Pickering did all right yesterday, but I just think JRC and Britain would be the two I think need a little run now. I thought Pickering struggled at Ipswich. I think Adam Wharton probably needs a break, but he's one of those players where I don't really have a replacement for. Do you throw Sandre Tronstad in in that position, potentially? Will he do that? I don't know. I would be more, I would say Hill and JRC definitely. I think Adam needs a break. I don't think he's been at his best, but is that quite a big drop-off to Tronstad? We don't know because we've not really seen enough of him and that's also part of the problem. So do you change the shape slightly? Do you drop Travis and go back to more of a 4-2-3-1 rather than the 4-3-3 and drop Travis next to Tronstad or Wharton? Maybe. I think they've they've got some uh, some dilemmas to consider, haven't they, before they go to Coventry? They have, and I think you're right to raise the personnel over the system because uh, I don't like it when there are wholesale changes to a system, particularly this early in a season as well. We're still really early. JDT will have been working on this all through pre-season, possibly bits of last season as well. So you cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater just because we've had a few bad results. So I think you're absolutely right to highlight the personnel issue. Maybe we could make three, four, five changes and, and see how they do those names that you've mentioned there. The, the thing that also gives me reassurance on changing the personnel rather than the system is actually, we've just been speaking about the Carabao Cup games. Clearly, this whole squad know how to play the system. We saw it away at Harrogate in particular, but we've seen it in the other games as well. Everyone's coming in and they know their role. They know what they're doing. And clearly, JDT has worked hard on that on the training ground. So I would be hopeful that with the changing personnel, freshing it up, getting new lads into the starting eleven is the way forward and, and that's the way I would do it um, because I think it's a real bad sign if you fundamentally change a system in response to something and ultimately I don't think that that's how JDT wants to play anyway. I think the chaotic formation, the high energy press, you know, that type of stuff is is his natural way of playing. It's, it's not the other way. So yeah, Hill, Tronstad, others like that, I think you can absolutely make a case for them. I think if they went 4-2-3-1 as well and put JRC back in, he can almost give them that extra, um, you know, with those underlapping runs that he likes to make on the um, on the right-hand side, he can almost give them that extra bit in midfield in that right channel if Travis is having to sit a little bit deeper. I think I would go 4-2-3-1. I think... I, don't, I haven't seen Tronstad enough in training. That would be the only one where I'm like, Adam or Tronstad, it would be difficult. But I think definitely Hill for Carter, definitely JRC on right back and switch Britain across to the left. I think I'd take Marconde out and then and put Moran to the right, Smodic's back in the middle, and then you've got a choice of Telelovic. I'd, I'd like to see Telelovic, but obviously Jon's not starting him, so it's difficult to say that. I thought Dolan looked quite bright, actually, at 2-1. He then went quiet when the third one went in, but that's understandable. But I wonder if Dolan might go up front on Wednesday and play Moran on the right, tucked in, Smodix as the 10, Sigurds enough left. Again, you've got no width there, though, but if you've got Britain, at least, and JRC as the fullbacks, they might give you a little bit more. It'll be interesting. Let's look ahead to the week that they've got. Rovers have got two away days coming up. First on Co- Coventry, as we've just said, they beat Queen's Park Rangers. 
at the weekend, who, of course, is who Rovers play on Saturday. They've not had a great start, Coventry. There's been obviously quite a bit of upheaval with the chair, with churning their squad, having sold Gokarez, selling Gustavo Hamer as well. But I think Rovers have got to go and get something, really, haven't they? Even if it's a crap nil-nil, I think they just need to stop the rot a little bit, whether that's a, a draw. If they can get three points, obviously that would be amazing. But it's not going to be easy. As I say, they got quite a morale boost in 3-1 win. Ellis Sims got his first couple of goals as well. So they looked a little bit more like the Coventry of last season, but they generally haven't been as good this season. So maybe it's the wrong time to catch Coventry or maybe they can bring them down uh, back down to earth. Uh, I think regardless of Coventry's form, I just think we always struggle at Coventry. So um, yeah, the fact that they've just won that game 3-1, I think gives them more of a, a spring in their step, so to speak. So I'm expecting a really tough game for Rovers. Um, for what I don't know what it is, uh, particularly at Coventry Stadium, I think. We just tend to find it difficult. We've obviously come on the bad end of a couple of results against them recently as well with the stoppage time equalisers and things, which just adds a bit of spice. So I think it's a desperately uh, <laughs> desperately um, bad time to play Coventry on the back of the results we've had. And, you know, wanting to stop the rot away at Coventry isn't something that I'm really wanting to do. So you're right, though, a draw would be a start. It would stop the rot. It would be a good point in that regard and then lead as well into QPR where we should be absolutely aiming for the win. But... I'm expecting a, a tough game, Elliot. Um, make no mistake. I, I think it's going to be really tough for Rovers to go and get anything at Coventry just because of what history's told me. And then QPR as well. They won there last year. Um, QPR have won one of their last 19 home games in the Championship. Obviously, you've got the Gareth Ainsworth factor as well. Rovers spoiled his big day out um, on his first managerial game last season. For me, this is the week where... I can cut Rovers a bit of slack for the last few results. I don't think, obviously, the defensive lapses are a concern, but I think if you look at the opposition they've played, if you're looking for positives and reasons, at least they've played, you know, three teams that are in the top four of the championship right now. It has been a step up from when they beat Middlesbrough to play Sunderland, then Ipswich, then Leicester, you know, three times in eight days. And I do think they've had chances where on another day, they could have got more points from those. They, you know, they should have beaten Sunderland by the fact they should have been out of sight before Sunderland score. Um, they could have got something at Ipswich easily and probably Leicester was the least likely of the, the three in terms of the performance of both teams. But they could have easily come away with four points from that free game haul. For me, this is the week where they've got to turn the people that have turned into doubters back into believers because you're not playing the same quality of opposition. And away at Coventry and away at QPR are the sort of teams Rovers need to... If they're not taking four points, there's at least got to be more defensive solidity and more of a you know unified performance they're not playing badly on the ball but you can't keep saying that you know the definition of an insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results so there has to be a change this week I'll cut them some slack for the opposition they played it's a bit concerning but I'm not going into you know worry and uh, panic territories I know some Rovers fans are because I'm watching the performances and I know there's a lot that is good and certainly they are much better than you know five teams in the championship near the bottom. They're, never, they're not going to get relegated in a million years or anything daft like that. So if does it matter if they finish 10th or 15th? I know that's a really sad thing to say after nine games, but that that is what I'm currently thinking. But if they can get six points this week, if they can get at least four points, I think it will start to turn people to pay attention to the good stuff a bit more than some of the more alarming stuff, which also deserves scrutinising because you can't concede 16 goals in five games. That is obviously abysmal, but it's going to be... I'm going to have a lot less slack for Rovers after this week because of the opposition they've got. 
I think that's a really fair assessment. So let's just break this down. So yeah, the last three games, um, the Sunderland game could easily have gone in a different direction with how we played in that first half. And we were desperately unlucky for for us not to at least get a point based on that, that first half performance. So that game could easily go any other way. Ipswich Town away, you know, three goals at Portman Road uh, probably gets you the win on nine times out of 10. Uh, it's sadly those defensive issues that have cost us in the end. So uh, again, you know, that game might have gone a different way, but actually I'm not begrudging Rovers losing away at Ipswich with the way that they are playing. The Leicester game, absolute golf in quality. So yeah, now we are into a four-point week uh, for me. And if you want to go longer than that, a seven points out of the next three with Cardiff at home next uh, after that as well. So yeah. we've got to be aiming for four points from the week. Uh, I don't mind which way round it comes, whether we beat Coventry, draw with QPR or draw with Coventry, beat QPR. Yeah, I think we definitely be beating QPR regardless. So I think if yeah, they beat we Coventry, I'm expecting six. <laughs> well, yeah, quite quite that. But uh, the superstition, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Hildred is a superstitious Rovers fan. So the one win in 19, the Gareth Ainsworth factor, the fact it's Rovers rocking up, it's sending my superstition triggers into overdrive, I'm afraid, Elliot. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, it's got to be a four-point week because I really like how you just um, summarise that there, the the doubters into believers. I think that's a great way because I think some people now are just thinking, mm, actually, we came seventh last season. Are we as good as we think we are? We're starting to get those little rumblings. We're starting to get the rumblings of, is this formation all that? Are we defensively good enough? So you're right. It's got to be a confidence boosting uh, week for Rovers. But again, I'll just place on record. I think it's going to be a desperately tough game at Coventry. I, I think it'll be really tough for us to to certainly get the win, I'm hopeful for a point, but it'll be a really tough game and not one that I'm relishing coming after Leicester. Predictions time. What are you going for? Going to go for a one-all away at Coventry. I think it's going to be a hard-earned and hard-fought point. Um, I do fancy us for the draw. Um, I'd love to say that we're going to win, but I just can't see it. I, I just think it's a place that we struggle. I think we buckle under their crowd and and all of those things. And I think just coming off the back of the results that we've had, it's not the team that we want to be playing now and, and going for the win. But who knows? I could be proven wrong. Well, and that's go that for atmospheric one. ground at Coventry as well. And your fear is if they get off to a poor start that they could get sucked in by that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely that. But uh, one all, I fancy us for a draw just to stop that rot, as you say, and I tee up to nicely. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to just copy you, but I do think one all seems like I think they will just try and tighten up a little bit this week. I know it's not. I don't know why I'm predicting that, really, because they've shown no evidence whatsoever or inclination that they are going to do that. But I do just think that Jan will look at it and go, you know, 16 goals in five games is just unsustainable, isn't it? So I tend to agree. I think one all at Coventry. I think they'll win at QPR. I do think that. I think QPR are a better side than necessarily the championship table shows. I think they have got players that can be a threat. But I do think that they can get the win. So I'm going to go for a one-all draw at Coventry and a 3-1 win at Queen's Park Rangers. Uh, as much as my superstition triggers are in overdrive, I also fancy Rovers for the win. I think it's the one that JDT and the team are actually targeting big time. You know, it's the recent results that we've had, QPR's home form, last game before the international break, stopping the rot not getting some of the results that our performances have deserved. You know, all these things combined, I think this is the one that Rovers will be targeting. And and I do fancy us to go there and be positive. And I think, I do think our style of play will hurt QPR. Um, I don't think Ainsworth has got them playing necessarily in a, a good way, an attractive way, and in a way that I think would cope with Rovers in that regard. So um, I do think we'll go down there and be really positive and 
finally get our just rewards for hopefully a dominant performance away from home. Fingers crossed, of course. Make sure you're following the Lancashire Telegraph for coverage of both away games this week. And that rounds up the Arte Labore podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're following us uh, on Twitter at Blackburn Rovers and check out the Lancashire Telegraph site for the most comprehensive Rovers coverage this season. You can subscribe to Lancashire Telegraph to support local journalism, to support this podcast. You'll get a better reading experience, fewer adverts, and subscriber-only content with plenty more perks as well. If you go to the lancashiretelegraph.co.uk forward slash subscribe, you can get £1 for your first month or 15% off an annual subscription. That works out at less than the price of an average UK pint. So go and do that if you're in a position to. Thank you for listening. Make sure that you leave us a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Subscribe, as I say, and we'll catch you next weekend for another episode of the Arte Labore podcast.